Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Six Degrees of Leadership podcast. My name is Brian Hendricks, and I will be your host in this series, which is built around helping each of us be the best leader we can be in our daily and our work lives. I call the show Six Degrees of Leadership because I hope to create a network of leaders worldwide, whether we have the official title or not. We were all just six degrees from one another. Now, in each episode, I will interview one person about what leadership means to them and how we can implement some of their everyday practices into our own lives. You all are going to love this episode. This week's guest is a best-selling author, a pastor, a wonderful father, and truly a dear friend to me, Justin Lester. Justin talks about how to balance all the tasks of being a leader while still making time to connect with your team and making sure to be present when you are home. Please sit back, relax, and enjoy learning from Justin, because I know I had a great time learning from him. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the third episode of Six Degrees of Leadership. I am your host, Brian Hendricks, and joining me today is someone uh, who's very close to me. He's been a friend for a long time. He's been a roommate at times. Uh, we've traveled the United States together. We played basketball together. We've done laundry for Marquette University women's basketball team together. We got lots of stories. One of my closest friends in the world. And I love that I can call him the Reverend Justin Lester now. Justin, thanks for joining us today. How are you? I'm wonderful, man. That is crazy you say that. Can you believe we've known each other since 2006? Like, uh, we're, we're over, we're almost 15 years, man. <laughs> over 15 years. Yeah, we're old now. Yeah, we're, old. We're, we're talking about we have families now. <laughs> I, I remember back in 2006, you know, we we're talking, hey, I want to coach high school basketball and you want to lead a church. Fast forward, I'm coaching high school basketball and you're leading the church. I remember telling my wife that a couple of years ago. I was like, Hendrix and I prayed for these moments. Like, we're doing the very things we prayed for, just walking down Wisconsin, just like, man, we're going to do this. We're going to do this, man. And I'm so proud of the man you've become, man. I'm so proud of you, man, and happy to be on here and, and happy to be a part of uh, this today, man. Yeah, I appreciate it. And again, it goes right back to you. I mean, it's, we're going to talk about a lot of leadership. Uh, we're going to talk about, you know, all three of your books. Uh, but um, I was reading Necessary Endings a couple of years ago and I was going back through my notes. And one of the things you talk about in there is, uh, you are living somebody's tomorrow. And I'm like, wait, I'm living. Justin's living 2006, Justin and 2006, Brian's tomorrow. We're living it today. That's it, man. And it's, it's, ama so cool. it's amazing to think through that, you know, and it's like, that's where I believe the future is a memory to God. Right. And that's where our prayer time is accessing. Like, what is it that God is remembering that we have not, our faith has not risen to a level to trust, right? Because everything that happens is no surprise to God, positive or negative. And that's, that's not, that, that raises the question of like the odyssey, like why do bad things happen to good people? But that's it. We're living, we're living our tomorrows, man. And it's just amazing to look back and, and to really, that's why I think that Christ gets to in Matthew 6, like be anxious for nothing, like stop worrying be anxious for nothing like stop worrying. that's it because it's 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 worked out it's planned out and as long as we are staying in the groove in the lane of where god has called us to our true selves or pushing us we're going to end up man exactly where we'll be and we'll we'll look back on it it makes me think about the times we were anxious and stressed in college and i'm like 
dude, it really never mattered. Like you were gonna meet, you were gonna meet Jackie soon, man. <laughs> you were gonna meet her, yeah, and I was, happening. I was so mad about relationships. And then literally the day before I left to go to Nashville, I meet my wife, and I'm like, dude, if I just like would have just like studied more. <laughs> In college, instead of being like, I wish this person called me back. It's like, dude, I was going to meet her the day I left to go to Nashville and never stop talking to her. And so, uh, yeah, man, honored to be here, man. This is awesome. Full circle, man. Yeah, yeah, it is. I love it. I love when it comes full circle like this. So let's get into it. Uh, first question I always ask, and you know me well, you know my love of superheroes. You know my love of, you know, I, I call them origin stories. Like, you've lived a life. Like, what is your origin story? How did you get? to where you are now leading the church you know i'll tell you the truth and uh when you said this it's a story i i i've not really mentioned much but i'll say this because you know i'm drew smith i never forget the day we were at kansas and i forgot terry's cherry coke and it was just like the worst trip ever right and it was just the trip just took a turn for the left and i was on the phone with drew smith in my driveway and at my mom's house and I was shoveling outside. I was like, gosh, like, I probably need to quit this. Like, I don't know what's going on. And it was Drew that was just like, hey, I'm not telling you to advocate for anything, but it was just Coke. Like, it's not a big deal. And so let's let's get back on the groove. Let's make sure we're doing our job with, like, intentionality. And what is it you think you can bring most to Marquette? And so I remember meeting with him and Carolyn after that, like, the week, the right after everybody, I think it was a tournament everybody went to, came back. And it was just like, hey, I really want to do this video thing because I've always been a geek for it and I want to figure this out. And that moment, man, I got organized, intentional with it, organized like film, um, began to build relationships with people around the office, build relationships with people upstairs, build relationships with people in the team. And I remember telling Terry, like, hey, like, I'm cool with this travel stuff, but I kind of want to be here on Sundays because there's a calling in my life and I want to pursue it. And Terry told me, she was like, the reason I want you to be around here is because of the calling on your life. And that was the first time I ever had someone who wasn't like my mom say, I'm invested in you. And that was the first time I was like, wait, if all these other people like Terry's putting her job on the line, really not literally for a manager, but it was just like trusting someone with resources. Carolyn and Drew were invested. I'm like, man, what is it about me that others see that I don't see? And that was where I first started really buying into, like, who am I and what is it that I'm called to do? And I remember that moment. It was like the worst. It was like, that was a long plane ride back from Kansas. I was so happy to see Rock Chalk Jayhawk. And that was just a terrible plane ride. And I remember those moments, man, to, to get to today and just to take things daily, at, like, take things at once at a time, to be organized, to be intentional and not let others buy into you more than you bought into yourself. And that's where, you know, insecurity, I just could not let that lace my life as much as I let it lace my life. And that led to just different decisions and better decisions and to lead us to where we are today. So yeah, I, it was freezing cold outside on the phone with Drew Smith, shoveling snow my mom's house. That really kind of just turned some things around my sophomore year of college, man. So, yeah. That's all right. So I kind of want to diverge off that path for a minute here. Because I think you said something that a lot of leaders face every day. And I know I face every day. It's that idea of, you know, I'm not worthy of this role. How do, I, I don't deserve this. This idea of anxiety and all this stuff. Like, why me? Why would people listen to me? Why are, gonna pe why, why are people going to listen to six degrees of leadership, you know, from my perspective? So as a leader, how have you kind of fought through that and actually taken in what other people say and believe it 
Yeah, that's that's true. And it's something I think we even fight on a regular basis, that imposter syndrome, right? Just I'm not enough to be here. I'm not and I I my pastor said something to me very sorry, he was preaching here a while ago and he said, you know, when we get into imposter syndrome, when we get into that space where we think we're not enough, we get, we say, I got to, I got to do this. I got to lead people. I got to pay bills. So I no longer look at my job as I, I look at it like I got to, I got to pay bills. I got to finish this. I got to get these four or five things done. I got to please the board. But I move from I got to attitude to I get to attitude. I get I get to talk to my board to, this week, right? I get to I get to put food on my table by influencing other people, right? I get to I get to pay my bills through preaching, right? Like through the foolishness of the gospel Paul says, I get to pay my bills. And that that's just amazing to me. And so when I move from an I got to to an I get to attitude, like I get to serve people. I get to serve the kingdom. I get to call the best out of others. Um, that part for me, man, moved to me not looking at like, okay, so what is wrong with me that I have to finish something? But what am I excited about to see the next, to see what's beyond? And that's what's helped me, man, move beyond my insecurities. Like, no, I'm secure enough in myself that I get to do this. I, I get to. It's a privilege to lead. It's a privilege to serve. It's a privilege to preach. And that get to attitude beyond a got to attitude, man, really helped me in terms of um, having clear focus and then work life boundaries. So not balance, but boundaries like just work. Just, yeah. yeah work life boundaries, man, is assisted so that it's like I'm, I'm who I am fully everywhere I go um, and don't apologize for it because, man, I get to do what I'm doing and I'm not going to let anybody or any situation or anything disappoint that. And that negative situations, hard meetings, hard conversations are so essential because we get to do this work. And that for me is what's really assisted in having joy. You know, I don't think life is lived to be happy, but I think life is lived to have joy. And that joy just overwhelms the get to attitude, man. Yeah, I love that. And, and it's a mindset shift. And I, and I think people have to realize, yes, the initial reaction is, oh, I have to do this. But then we can control our self-talk and change it. No, I get to do this. I love that. That's it, man. I yeah. get to. Yeah, man. I love it. So obviously, long journey to get to where you are now. If you, for all of our young leaders out there, what is something you wish you knew when you were younger that now you're like, oh, okay, this would have helped, you know, 12, 15 years ago? It's funny. You know, I, I, uh, our young adults, we had this funny thing we did. We started this thing called Wine Down Wednesdays at our church and uh, where we study scripture and drink wine. It, we're in Napa. I live in Napa, man, by the way. You got to come out here sometime. Right. But like, so okay. literally it's just like water. Okay. okay. <laughs> it's like water out here. So we just drink, we have this thing called Wine Down Wednesdays for our young adults. And um, one of the questions I asked them, I said, like, you know, what would you get tattooed on your body if you could, right? And we were debunking some stuff in Leviticus and someone asked me, cause I want to ask us an answer to the question, the challenge I'll give someone who's listening. Like, I think the way they can also answer this question where they are now is what would you tattoo on yourself? And what I would, what I would have put man is, um, it's going to be okay. I really wish that, you know, as much as we can get into deep stuff, like it's going to be okay. Um, if life was meant to kill you, if it was meant to harm you, it would have but it's going to be okay. And that goes to testing, that goes to, you know, whether it's people going to law school, people graduating from school, first kid, second kid, I mean, whatever it is, it's going to be okay. And I really wish that at a younger age, you know, when 
I wasn't making what I'm making now, you know, when we when we were in the process of getting married, when it was moving, when it was purchasing a home, finding an apartment, like it's going to be okay. And the gray hairs I have now are from stress I didn't need, right? Um, secondly, I think what I also learned and I wish someone would have said is your first response cannot be anger. I really didn't understand passion until probably three, four years ago and the differences between having passion for something and your responses and reactions and anger. And I, re I used to respond man, to a lot of things in bad emotions. So there's anger, insecurity, animosity, frustration. Then my first initial like reaction was always like a negative reaction. I can't be this, I can't do this, this is impossible. Instead of your first response cannot be your worst emotion. But understanding that delineation to passion. So now my response then is really, I want to build this, that that's why it frustrates me. That's why it agitates me. And so I love this so much that that's why it like, yeah, it, it bothers me. And so now instead of responding with anger, like you don't like me, it's no, I care so much about this that I'm not going to sleep until I figure out a way to fix it, heal it, move it, progress it, build it. And so I had to shift. Um, I wish somebody would have told me like, hey, listen, let's take a breath, pause, pull back for like five minutes, you know, grab, grab into your hobby and then come back to it because you care so much about it that you, you aren't your worst emotion because those will cause you to make bad decisions, but you actually really care about what you're building. And so those are the two main things for me, man. It's gonna be okay. And and your first response cannot be your worst emotion um, because you really, really care about it. Let's build with it. I love that. And this is why I know you and I are so close. Oh, just right over here, I literally have a sign that says everything will be okay. It is, that's huge. And what I've noticed a lot of times too, with people, not just leaders, but people is that gut instinct, that gut reaction is to go negative right away. And I love what you said. Take that minute, take that five minute, take your, your box breathing. You know, I teach four to four breathing, diffuse that emotion first, then give a response. It makes all the difference in the world. I told someone the other day, I said, you know, for some reason we trust our gut reaction so much, but I'm like, your gut can't even handle whole milk. Right. So why, why, why are you trusting your gut? And, you know, and it's funny to be, but it's like, I want us to put it in perspective. They're like, you're trusting your instinct. Like, you have to raise your instincts, teach your instincts, change your instincts to trust your instincts. And I'm like, we're trusting, we're trusting traumatic like responses. We're trusting reflect reflexes that were learned in trauma, right? Like if our children learn our emotions starting at the age of three, how to respond to things, we don't really have a concrete route to understand like, this is why I respond like this. And so we have to really name our instincts, name our emotions, and then, you know, change our reflexes, man. So I was like, yeah, you, you can't even handle milk or pork. Why are you trusting your guy? <laughs> it is. I love that. And I think too that, I mean, because when we change our mindset, our team, the people we lead, realize that. And, and I think one of the most important things I talk about it with so many people, and people ask me all the time, is how, not necessarily, well, we'll get to motivation, but how do you foster more of a positive work environment? I mean, our world is faced with negativity. So, you know, in your book, Necessary Endings, which again, we're going to take a little bit deeper dive into later. Um, one of the things you talk about it is winning people to work for a more significant cause than your than you is your gift of energy. How can, talk to me about that. How can you show your energy to motivate people, one, for a positive work environment, but to get excited about your mission, about your task, about your goal? 
if I'm not excited about it, then you're not excited about it, right? And if I'm not living for it, if I'm not living and breathing what we're doing, if I'm not showing you balance, if I'm not showing you consistency, if I'm not showing you buy-in, not just to like what we're doing on our workspace, but to myself, right? So I can't, for example, my church, I can't preach a value system of family first if I, you don't see me excited authentically about my family and that's not showing them off that's literally you know i sit with my wife during worship right and so it's like i'll be in the back corner with my wife or my son sits with me it's little things like that that show like no i'm a father first and at the end of the so it's we we have to be excited about our values and too often i think we do a very good job of these old school teamwork pictures on the wall and um you know we're all in a circle in a picture or we we love putting these quotes up penguins all yeah man that one or the birds flying in the same direction like that's beautiful things but conflict is going to teach you if your values are true right and too often we have these values that are really good posters but they're not practical and they're not applied and that's where it's like we must be excited about our values we must be excited about what we're doing and excitement in such a way that the our our, our people working under us see us like working on a casting vision. So I believe I'm a huge, I like to lead it at two things. I like to lead in a way that's easy for me. So I hire my weaknesses. Number one, I always hire my weaknesses. Um, so, you know, I know how to do a lot, but I'm not skilled in all of that. And so I'll hire my weaknesses and pay you to do those things. So I'm sorry, and then pay you to get better. So like, for example, we just hired a full-time finance person here at our church and we're sending her back to school. We hired a full-time tech director at our church and we're sending him to conferences and back to school. I want you to be the best at it because I'm not gonna do that, right? So I just took social media off my page. I can do it, but I'm gonna hire someone to go, and I'm bought, right. I'm so bought into you. I'm bought in not in just to your work here, but I'm bought into you beyond this environment that I want you at your absolute best. That engenders excitement, engenders consistency, and tells you I'm so bought into who you're becoming and who you are that I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to give space for you to get better and get better than even what I can see about the opportunity. And that's where then also delegating and following up, man, like I, I'm a huge delegate and follow up. Like I like sending emails and um, I literally um, there's a book by uh, Paul, Paul Conant. He's the former executive director of uh, Chewy, um, Nabisco, Nabisco. And he talked okay. about this thing called touch points. And he said literally to budget um, time in your calendar for stand-up impromptu meetings, right? So in my calendar, man, a way that I show this excitement is in my calendar, I literally have room, like on Thursdays, for example, from one to three, where I have time for impromptu meetings where I just go randomly check in with my staff. How are y'all doing? What are you eating today? How are your kids? What's going on? Because mm -hmm. I care about you as a human, and that engenders a culture that, that says like, hey, like, you know, I'm touching your head, your hands and your heart, right? That's what Connick just kept talking about, head, hands, heart. And as long as I'm touching your hands, head, heart, and I'm budgeting time for you in my calendar, I'm never too busy to know you as an employee. And then therefore, when I lean in on you, you know it's because I'm leaning in on purpose for the good of the organization and the good of what we're doing and to get you bought into something that's so much bigger than you, but we still can get there. So if vision, vision has to be large, but it has to be chewable. It has to be large, but it has to be chewable, man. So, yeah, all of that. I love it. Yeah, I love it. I mean, there, there's two things that really stood out to me. Um, uh, our second episode here was really cool for me because Ed, Ed Hendrickson, who's my dad, and he has said something 
my whole life, we talked about in the episode, but you just reminded me of it is the behavior you exhibit as a leader becomes the acceptable behavior of your team. So if you go out there and you're preaching family, 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 and yet you don't talk to your wife, you have no idea what's going on in your son's life. And people notice that it means nothing what you say. Like that's huge. You got to, you got to walk the walk. And if you talk it, you better start walking. Otherwise it means nothing. That's it, man. I can't preach outreach if they don't ever see me doing outreach. I can't preach community engagement if I'm not actually at the meeting. It's the same thing, man. You know, the suit goes with our homes. I can't tell you I love you and I'm never home. I can't tell you I love you and you don't see me cooking or cleaning or present or taking care of things or planning dates. And I think, I think one of the issues, too, with leaders and something I've learned in my own life and something I failed at but also now trying to turn the corner on is... I would talk a whole lot of stuff at church, but it wasn't until my mother-in-law actually was here um, at our house for Christmas three years ago. And she was like, Justin, you talk so much about personal devotional life, but I've never seen you have devotion at home. And I was like, what the, like, <laughs> you know, I'm like, and it, it, I, yeah, and I'm like, dude, I've been at this stuff for years. I write sermons every week, but she never, I'm up in this pulpit. She was at our house for a month. And I'm in this pulpit man preaching about like, you know, 15 minutes a day, start your day with five minutes. And she was like, I'm not trying to be mean, but I've never actually seen your devotional time. And that was the first time I was like, now if my mother-in-law doesn't see it, my wife doesn't see it, my son doesn't see it. And so I can't, I can't, so like I'm getting up here and I'm like, it's not necessarily hypocritical in terms of like, you know, folk out here drinking and smoking and sex. It's literally right. my, my mother-in-law who's been with us for a month can't call one day in 30 days where she's seen me bring my family together to, to read scripture, to pray together, to, to know what our prayer points are, to know what's going forward. And so it was something I noticed. I'm like, if I'm not doing that at home, what values am I teaching at work? What values am I telling my employees that I'm not following through on? Because it's just, you know, this is what we're supposed to say. I'm supposed to tell you to have devotional life. But my life changed, man, honestly, when I actually sat there and was like, not every single day, I'm gonna, we're gonna come together and once a week on Mondays, we're gonna have our devotion time as a family and our family shifted because I actually applied the stuff I was preaching about <laughs> at home and then it poured over. I think we have to live from overflow. I think that's where the whole Psalm 23 thing comes in. I'm not, not to get too much into it, but like Psalm 23, the whole like my cup overflows. There's a necessity that that, that picture there is the king servant being served, right? And because of the overflow that there's no poison in this drink, they couldn't wait to pour this. And my cup is overflowing because now there's no poison in this drink. There's nothing negative in this. So like the Lord is my shepherd and I can't wait to drink this, this cup. And so we have to live from the overflow and our, our work is from the overflow of what we pour at home. And so I'm only as good of a boss to my employees as I am a husband and a father. You're only as good of a leader to those who you're leading as you are a husband and a father first, because that is your first place of ministry, failure, success. And home is the one place that covers all of your blemishes. And um, yeah, man, so all of that put together is just uh, when I when I got home right, everything else fell into place. So like work is easy because I love being Courtney's husband and I love being Camden's father. And so now I can be Sandrea and Steve and Michelle's leader because I love being Courtney's husband. And it gives you something excited to come home to and you leave home. Most of the time you're, ha you're not happy to leave, but you're in a good mood because your home life is in order. And that's where we make poor decisions at work because we don't have make good decisions first at home. And the reason we'll compromise with 
he, she, whomever, whether it comes to resources, money, relationships, will compromise here because we are not solidified there. Yeah, that's deep. I mean, it, it's, I think we need to hear that both as leaders at work and at leaders in our own home. Yeah, I want to go back to that. The second thing that you brought up, and I loved it because I get this from CEOs and coaches and VPs all the time. You know, how do I make time for the quote unquote small talk? How do I make time to make sure my employees know I care about them as a person, not just, hey, here's a deadline, get it done. And my answer is exactly what you said. You schedule it. You have to. There's no way around it. And here's the thing, I believe, and I'd love to get your reaction. You schedule it. It's now, you know, because we have people that are so task driven. Now, now it's a task that you have to accomplish, which is you get it done. And now your team, I argue, is more committed to you because they see the commitment to them. them. Yep. There's no raise I can give that overrules them knowing I care about them. That's it. And it's just like, I think an, a trap, I, not trap, a, a failure of mine, and I, I'm open to speaking about some things I didn't do well as well. A failure of mine in my first congregation, man, was I just thought like, ooh, do the work, I'll give you a raise at the end of the year. When really, you just really wanted me to come to your kid's graduation. And so, okay, I'll just, I'll come to that. Like, do the work, I'll pay you well. And so there was no raise I could give that overruled just like, oh, you're, you're a musician and you want me to come to your, your gig. That's fine. Like, and you kept mentioning it and you told everybody in staff meeting and you mentioned it over and over and over. And I'm like texting you the night of like, oh, how is it? And all you wanted was like, would you guys support this? Because we're talking about, like the thing is, we have workplaces that claim this family montage, but for some reason we're family, but all we do is fire family. And I, you know, and so, it, it's yep. it's this whole notion of like you know I was trying to build this whole like we're a family and blah blah but it's like if we're doing we're family we're eating together we're supping together so let's either be a family and then engender a family mo model or this is a workplace and then how I need to then make sure that I you know I care about you as a human so I said you know how do I change this for touch points help me dearly man where it really said like schedule when like my doors open this time, communicate it, schedule it, and then be there. Mm -hmm. And so it's standing on my calendar. You know, I have time. I think when I even messaged you the first time about timeframes, like one of the timeframes you had available was a time I have available for my staff to just come and talk to me um, or for me to go bother them. You know, I'll send them cookies and things like that just to let them know, like, I see you, I got you. And there's more that I, I've, I've received from them in that, then like, you know, a cost of living raise, man, will 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 not give, you know, or some massive right. raise. Like, am I do I am I cared about in this place? Because if not, they'll find some place they're cared about. And mm -hmm. the same person and that cost of you know this man, the cost of acquisition versus the cost of loss <laughs> is <laughs> holy cow. Jesus. Man, yeah, I don't know. I'd rather it's cheaper to keep them. It's cheaper to keep them. It is, right? Well, I, I mean, you're seeing that in the corporate industry, any industry right now is it is such a high employee market. There's so many jobs out there for people to go get that if they don't feel trusted and cared for, they're out. Relief. And that cost of acquisition will bite you. I've been there. Mm -hmm. And that cost, cost of loss versus acquisition, I would much rather pay you 
you know, X amount of dollars more and listen to you tell me about, you know, your kids than to mm-hmm. have to start all the way over on board, put it out there on Indeed. I did, like just it's just it the cost of caring so much cheaper. Yeah. And if you have the good people, keep them. You want to keep those good people there. Keep That's there. it. Keep them and grow them. Yeah, exactly. Keep them and develop them, grow them. Like you, you talked about sending people back to school. That's development. So now you care about your team and you're invested in their development. Why are they going to leave? And I think that's one thing we have to be humble enough as leaders too, is I, there's certain areas I want my employees to know more than me in, right? And I have to be humble enough to say like, I don't need to know everything like my tech director. I don't need to know everything about every cord in this building, but you better be an expert. I don't need to know everything about every single accounting practice. Like I'm going to know, I know enough to know like we're, we're not cooking anything. There's nothing weird happening, but I don't need to know everything about every law and every practice that's your job, but I want you to be the best at it. And I want you to know more than me. And then I'm going to pay you to be there in a moment. I feel like our organizational capacity cannot match your capacity then I will assist you. And I've done that before too. Like, hey, listen, your capacity has grown. I'm gonna, this place won't help you grow. Let me help you find something cross compared to like, let's leave in disgust and dismay and severance and NDAs. Like, it's just not, it's not, it's just not. It's not right. no. <laughs> just, you can just, it's not. Yeah, it's just, that's it. It's just, oh. You know, I, let me pause it really quick. Really quick, I just gotta say this one. I laugh at this today because I was telling court, I was like, I love that Hendrix and I are having conversations like this because it just makes me, it always flashes me back to like, we were washing laundry, man, to get through college. <laughs> and it's like, we're over here now talking about NDAs and laws and accounting practices and hiring and firing practices and culture, organizational structure. And I just find it's 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 awesome to, to anyone else who's listening to this, who's there, you, you, you're not going to stay there. I promise you, but it's, it can teach you something. Um, yes. That laundry stuff taught, taught us consistency. <laughs> right. It's like, yeah. Well, and I think it also taught us, it was, it was the value of relationships. Jay, I cannot get over there tonight. Can you take the shift? Boom. Hey, Brian, I got church in the morning. I'm preaching. Can you please do laundry? Yeah, I got you. No worries. It's having that back and forth, building that trust. That has helped me so much in my life to run a company out with employees. Yeah, man. And that's it. And it's like leadership to me is just communication and managing conflict. That's it. If you can communicate and manage conflict, everything else falls into place. If you do not communicate, you have terrible conflict. Conflict's going to happen. And it's how we communicate and how we manage conflict. And those two things down together, man, build a great organization, build a great team, and engender a place of trust for your employees to you, and vice versa. And I think that just tells it, we learned it early. And so it's like the reason we are where we are today, you know, where we're not sitting here, like, I think the most valuable currency we have is our time, right? And so the reason we can make decisions with our time (laughs) is because it's like, we, there was a time frame we couldn't, where it was like, no, we are getting back at midnight, we have practice at six, everything needs to be clean by four. You guys have class at eight, get it done. Okay, great. At right. the time I couldn't control my time. Now I can right. control my time. And so I, it's just, but all it is is communication. I mean, travel like you just said, man. So it's just, I'm laughing to myself because I'm like, dude, I never would have thought like 10 years ago, like I have Courtney Weibel's jersey here with Dwayne Wade's signature and it's just funny. <laughs> it's just funny to think about, you know, those moments compared to today, man. So anyway, anyway, yeah. I think for, for everybody out there, it goes to show you, 
again, where we are now, Justin and I had these conversations over a decade ago. And if we didn't pursue it, if we didn't chase that dream, we wouldn't be here. You know, it's the start that stops most people. That's it. That's it, man. That's the truth. Just if you have a dream, if you believe it, you got to go. Don't start tomorrow. You got to start right now. Hey, that's so powerful. It's the start that stops most people. That's powerful. Love that. I mean, it's it's one of my favorite. I'll take credit for the quote. It's not mine. Um, but if you want to give me credit, that's fine. But I love it. It's the start that stops most people. Yeah. All right. So I, I kind of want to. I want to shift. I want to get into some of the things that you've done over the last couple of years. So we we're going to start with necessary endings. So this is the book you wrote. Um, I read it. I loved it. it and. It, it hit me differently, I think, than it hit other people because, I mean, you really open up in this book. And you talk about times, and I remember having, being roommates with you and, and not knowing any of this or not knowing how deep some issues went. And so first and foremost, I want to give you kudos. I want to give you props. I want to say how awesome it is that you opened up and put all those negative emotions, negative thoughts into a book like this, because a lot of people don't, you're not the only one. And and so, so first of all, thank you for doing that. Secondly, I mean, there's, I was talking with another, with some people and, and to me, the, the showings of a good book is after I read it, what does it look like on the inside? And I mean, I have this highlighted maybe every other page. There's stars anywhere. It's there. There's a lot of good nuggets. So there were three things as I was kind of going back to my notes in the book. I wanted to just bring up. Um, and, and one of them is kind of what we just talked about. The the start is what stops the most people. But you talk about planning without action is a waste of time. What if you can focus on that for a little bit? Yeah, man. So. My uh, my wife, the reason I, I even had that, my wife, we were specializing in times where we always put all these planners. And I noticed on our bookshelf, we had planner after planner after planner after planner. And it was all these amazing, beautiful, highlighted vision boards and post-it notes everywhere. And I'm like, none of these things were coming to pass because January was this beautiful planning season. And then February, we were not in the gym anymore. And then in March, we were back to eating cake, right? And I I, I learned that that planning has nothing. Because dreamers are the doers who get things done, right? Like, you have to get things done. And if you're not going to get things done, not not going to follow through on it, because the follow-through, man, and and I I gain that, man, from just basketball. You can have all the athleticism in the world. Like, we've seen that. I mean, there was a, the best defensive player we ever had was a young lady. I forgot where she was from, but she was the best defensive player I've ever seen. Couldn't shoot for nothing. Had a terrible follower. <laughs> and it's like, girl, your whole career could be amazing if you just had one thing, a good follow-through. I think the same thing comes over to our lives, man, where we plan and we plan and we have all this, we have all this stuff. And that was my issue. I had all the juice. I was, I had the height. I had the, I had the location. I had the degrees. I had the connections. And it was like my follow through was just poor. I was planning. I had all these dreams and goals and visions, but then it was, what are the two or three things that God is really calling me to do? Who are the people that are around me that are inside of my circle that will hold me accountable to what I need to complete? Let me give my focus to that. 
and there move from just planning to be great to actually being great, planning to do something to actually doing it. And I think when we over we overcome our own hump, right, just overcome our own hump of planning, we then can lean into the fullness of our, our, our dreams, our opportunities, our goals and our, our future. Um, but the issue, I think, too often man, is like, you know, we have a terrible follow through. And so it's just I, I, I challenged my church with this last week. You know, I, we have a Sunday called Personal Vision and Business Plan Sunday, where I challenge every entrepreneur to bring their business plans to the altar and lay them on the altar. And I prayed over every business plan that this is no longer a plan. This is your action steps. So completed. Mm-hmm. And so now we have ministry catered to following through, literally called the follow through ministry, where it's following through, where I, we're having people then show up once a month. How are you following through on what we just prayed over? Because I no longer wish to have all these individuals in our church like, I'm fit to, I'm fit to. Like, great. Like, I'm about to do this. I'm about to do this. And it becomes a, it becomes a marker in time. Like, we, we, I have people in my circle who are about to do this, about to, about to start a business. Mm-hmm. And they were about to start their business back in college, right? And it's just, when you look at, like, living in Silicon Valley now, man, like, you look at Facebook, when you look at Twitter, you look at Snapchat, those were all dreams that these doers mm-hmm. got done. And that's where we got to get over the hump of planning. Like, and that's where I call these one of these the deaths. It was a funeral to my last plan. I had a plan of yep. children. I had a plan of uh, church. I had a plan of church growth. I had a plan of writing a book. I had a plan of all of that. But if it wasn't for my wife forcing me to follow through, if it wasn't mm-hmm. for um, if it wasn't for um, my, my church actually supporting this work and allowing me to preach through it, and if it wasn't for me actually getting away, sitting down, opening a computer, and writing it. You know, these things have been locked in my head and the freedom that we've seen from people across country who've read it that have found freedom in their own plans. I'm like, man, the dreams that we unearth because I follow through in mine. That's what happens. There are people like my last thing I'll say there was um, Terry Tippis Williams said we are walking around, Brian, with wild mercy in our hands. We have wild mercy and God has gifted us this wild, uncontainable, uncontrollable mercy. And if we give it to others, it's going to cover their failures, cover their dreams. And so I'm sitting here like when I wrote this book, it was wild mercy. I want other people who feel uncomfortable with themselves to be covered, to see that God loves them, that they have a future. And I just wanted to give a bunch of wild mercy. And I just, I'm like, why am I walking around trying to contain mercy? Because I've been given it. But now that my story is just the reason I woke up from the bed in Vanderbilt, I never forget, I was at Vanderbilt Health. The reason I, I was able to wake up, I was so mad at God. I was like, oh my God, like I thought I did it right this time. I remember waking up from that and I, I remember committing to God, like, you know what, if you let me live, I will do whatever you need me to do. And that's wild mercy. So I have to share it. Yeah, I cut my mm-hmm. leg. I tried to die. I tried twice. I tried, man. I did not want to be here. I thought I was just pointless. I couldn't do it. But I have wild mercy. And so every time I get a chance, I'm going to share that mercy because I want others who feel insecure about their dreams, feel like they'll never amount to anything, to know that God's same mercy that kept me is the same mercy that'll cover you, complete you, whether you're saved or not saved. We have wild mercy to keep people from themselves. That's huge. And and wild mercy is going to be different for everybody. The wild mercy you can give is different than the wild mercy I can give, which is different than anybody. That's so powerful. It's, and I think once you make that connection of, I have something to give that will help others. That's a natural human inclination, I believe. 
that's it, man. There's just there's just theory called futures theory. I'm, I'm doing some work on that. Actually, to tell you the truth, man, so I'm finishing up this book. I got to deal with Christian faith publishers on this book on gamification of the church. And one of the things I'm talking about to share with you guys, it'll be out next summer. Um, that's one thing I was going to talk about later, but about next summer. So uh, futures theory. And what futures theory looks at the same thing. I love Terry Tippett Williams. She's a professor at Harvard. She said the eyes of the future are looking back at us, praying for us to make their pathway straight. It's from futures theory. And this whole notion that it's no longer generations, but to see our children as the ancestors, right? So how do we engender a culture where it's not Gen Z competing with millennials, but that we're all going to be the ones on the Mount Rushmore's of our children's lives, the Mount Rushmore's of our family's lives? How do we honor ourselves to help build the monument to our to what we're building for our children's 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 children. And what are we doing for our children? So what are you doing for your children to be like, no, you are going to be on Mount Rushmore. And that changes the way we speak to them. Like, no, your failures are going to lead to success because I'm only going to align you with your dreams. You see what I'm saying? And so this oh, whole I notion, do, yeah. yes, this whole notion of futures theory and I'm playing with it in terms of the church. So like we have this competing nation, notion of Old people hate young people. And it's like, hold on. What if we saw these younger people as like they're going to be the ones that are the Mount Rushmore of our church? And if we don't hold them up, we will lose out on the future of millions of souls that will be lost. And it goes the same thing with our children. Like even my, my son, just like, no, my son is going to do amazing things. And if that means it's music, it's music. And I'm going to align you with music. If that's writing, it's writing. I'm going to align you with writing because I want you to be the absolute best you possibly can be because I the eyes of the future are looking back, praying for you to make their pathway smooth. And and that mindset for me, man, has allowed me to um, do my very best to really see, like, not just see the future, but am I doing something today? Am I engaging today, this week, this sermon, this lesson, this blog, this book, that the eyes of the future are going to have a smoother path? So I don't want people who were in situations I was in that had like a bad relationship with their father to feel like life is over because of whatever mm -hmm. your dad did to you. I want to smooth your pathway out. If that happened, let's reconcile it. Let's talk about it and let's go forward. If you are wrestling with um, uncontrollable depression and don't know how to name it, don't cast it off into alcohol or women like I did in college. Let's bring it back in. Let's be honest about mm -hmm. our stories. And I want to make your pathway smooth. And that's where it's just like it just helped me to focus on the smoothing of the future. Um, people I'll never meet, like I'll never meet my great great grandchildren, but I hope mm -hmm. that they can look back um, on my work from my time, my, the life that I've been privileged to live and be like, great great granddad helped me live. And that's all we want to live for, man. That's, I'm processing all that right there. But it is, it's like what we do now have, or will what we do now have a greater impact in future generations and, and if you thought about it, like it's not us versus gen x gen z boomers because in 80 years we're we're just the ancestors they're they don't care what generation oh that's my, my ancestors did that's it and we specialize in we specialize in our community creating division we specialize in it we create yes, systems everything we do. yeah we specialize in creating division cultivating division holding on to division and I think we do that generationally, racially, sexually, genderly. We do it in such a way where we have to be divided. And I'm like, what would happen if we looked at Gen Z, looked at Gen Alpha, like our kids' generation, we looked at Gen Alpha and we said, hold on, like they literally are born at two knowing how to use a cell phone and we don't talk down about them. But what is the content that we're creating that they're gonna sleep with in their dreams? 
right? So if, if, if we know that their dreams are being cultivated and they can't communicate it, what's the content that you and I are creating that's gonna help our children dream at two? Because now the research will come out in 20 years, they're like, oh, cell phones did this. So since we know that's gonna happen the same way, you know, we had the Nokia phones and played Snake and it messed up life for us, how can we ensure that we close that door and smooth their pathways and help our children dream at two so that when they're 20, they don't know why they're dreaming so clearly, but because their parents or their friends put out content on their phones instead of talking down that they have a phone. It's little things like that that just asking different questions gives you brand new answers, man. So, I love it, Jeff. I, know, I love it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I want to make sure we get to the two other big takeaways. Yeah. So the second one kind of ties in with that planning without action is a waste of time is you talk a lot in the book about visions. And I think one of my, I highlighted and I like underlined, like I was a, one of it, you said, uh, visions accompanied by, are accompanied by anguish, confrontation, and skepticism. And then the very next line was, vision requires perseverance. Like with anybody, see, entrepreneurs, we talked a lot about entrepreneurs, um, young high school leaders. Once you get started, which is the first step, it's going to be hard. There's going to be anguish. There's going to be doubters. There's going to be skepticism. What's your response going to be? And I love you said perseverance. That's it, man. You got to choose your heart. And I'd rather, do you want your heart to be scandals and conflict? Or do you want your heart to be, this is going to lead to something that I've been dreaming and praying for? And vision requires perseverance, man. I think about it. I love using sports in it just because we have that background. And I think about just like the long seasons of sports, right? And as much as it's like, you know, like, I don't want to talk about the Packers this year because they're terrible. But I just think about... Like, talk about the Packers yeah, I don't want to... <laughs> That's fine. No, not... Oh, my God. You guys finally got a quarterback. And, uh, <laughs> kind of. But, you know what I mean? It's just like everybody's a, everybody's a Super Bowl champion week one. Mm-hmm. At the end of the season, there's only one. There has to be a... Who's the team that through injuries, through conflict, through, through changes of coaches, through sickness, through change of... Uh, personality through trades who's the one team that's going to say through all of that we believed in ourselves week one and we believe in ourselves we at, at the end of the season to me it's the same thing when it comes to our visions right so through so i remember just being when i was when i was younger um i was like okay when i get married we're going to do these five things and these are things i sense that god is going to call our family to and it wasn't easy it's it takes there's movement there's children there's there's body changes there's a death of parents there's movement again there's increase in salaries there's lowers there's all these different things that you can't foresee but what i have at the forefront man is vision and that picture of it comes with the story of jesus just coming into the world all they had was that zacharias said like hey jesus is coming the messiah is going to come now unto us a child is born okay it's been 700 years and Zachariah goes to the temple every single week. And then this one time he goes and Gabriel shows up and says, oh, by the way, Jesus is coming. Wait, wait, wait. All this time we've been praying and fasting and hoping and showing up and going. And you have to be consistent. You got to go to work. You got to put in the work. You got to send the emails. You got to follow through. You got to go to the meetings. You got to go to the conferences. You have to sit down. You have to be silent. You have to be open. You have to create the content. And eventually you'll look up. And Gabriel's like, hey, by the way, in nine months, Jesus is coming. He's going to use your wife to do it. Good luck. Hold on. Like, the whole story, this, like, get the milk, get the, <laughs> go shopping. Like, yeah. And so I think that's the part, man, where it, it takes perseverance, consistency, and follow through. 
And then on the other side, you look up and then you look back. Like, even for us now today, man, like to look, think of where we are now and to think like, geez, really? Like the movements and the changes and the jobs and the people and the, the opportunities and the, the failures and successes. And to be like, yeah, we are where we are today because, and we're not, and we're, shoot, man, we're just in our early 30s. We're not even done. Right. So we're not right. really getting started, you know, but it's like right. we are where we are today in a very short period of time because through our 20s, we just, kept at it you 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 said this i'm praying for you about that and have that on my prayer list man just these are the things i'm going to do and i'm <laughs> i'm going to coach i'm going to lead i'm going to coach i'm going to lead all right man i'm going to pastor people all right we're going to do it and now mm-hmm. we are where we are today because it was okay if i'm going to pastor i gotta i gotta go to i gotta go to seminary i gotta follow through on this i gotta say no to certain opportunities i gotta stop doing certain things to be where we are today and it, it requires a sense of perseverance and follow through and um, leadership, man, uh, you have to be able to withstand and respond to pressure. Mm-hmm. And that's Absolutely. where it that comes in. So hundred percent, man. Yeah. Yeah. And then last thing with necessary endings, I want to get to the two children's books that you and your son wrote together. Um, I, I think so much in today's world, when you think about leadership, when you think about entrepreneurship, when you think about coaching, whatever, it's grind culture. You got to stay up late. You got to wake up early. You talk about in your book, rest is not a luxury. It's a necessity. That, that goes against grind culture, but I would argue it's better to rest. God, there's a, I don't know if you've read Cal Newport's book, uh, deep work. Um, uh, actually listen to a podcast all about deep work. Yeah. So deep work, man. And deep work. Mm-hmm. I love that. He's just like, no, there's a necessity for concrete focus but concrete focus comes after rest if i am not thinking clearly because we have this hyperactive hive mind he suggests and this hyperactive hive mind gets us to think that sending like sending 80 emails a day every every couple of minutes sending sending you know that having all these different meetings constantly like busyness is not a good thing and rest is where it's important so to every person listening who is an entrepreneur who's chasing after dreams sleep Take your PTO, like go on vacation, like go on a date with your spouse, go on a group date with your friends. Because if you are filled with all of your passions, once again, you live from the overflow. And so your rest fills you back up again. And so I'm, I'm over this, you know, old school wake up at six and have like I told my church a couple of weeks ago, I said, you know, you have five different jobs and when you, sh- when you could just deepen your time at one and make the same amount of money, because when you think about the gas costs, the personality costs, the body costs, all of the movement to go to two or three or four different jobs, you look back at it. And if you just deepened your intention at one, you'd see increase. And I've, I've had employees that worked multiple jobs and it's just like, hold on a minute, like, let's let's work here first. And I promise you, like. There's opportunity here to grow, but you're working five different jobs and I'm getting you or four different jobs and I'm getting the excess of you and not the best of you. And I think that that not just applies to our work, but applies to ourselves. We get the excess of ourselves, not the best of ourselves. The rest, man, has to be at the forefront of what you do. Yeah, which I think is a great transition into one of the things you talked about, because when you rest, you can actually be there in the moment, whether it's at work or whether it's at home, which leads me to this wonderful book uh first of all i love that your first children's book is about basketball i'm very biased i think that that's amazing um i think this book is important for a lot of different reasons um as far as just representation in children's books goes i i commend you for that um 
I think it's great that you wrote a book with your son. I think that's cool. I think one of the things that has stood out to me just from a father standpoint is throughout the book there, you, your character always has a reason to not go play basketball. There's always something where, Oh, I have to go do this or I have to go do this or I have to go do this. But at the end of the day, you make time to go play basketball. That I'm telling you right now, that hit me. I'm re- I remember the first time I'm reading it with my daughter Reese, and I'm thinking of all these times where it's like, oh, you know, hey, let's go play Pretty Pretty Princess. Well, I got to send this email. All right, well, can we play after that? Yes, but then I got to make dinner. Okay, well, but then let's go play. After- yeah, but first I got to put your pajamas on. There's always a reason to not do that thing. And it, it's that little thing. Go play basketball. Go play Pretty Pretty Princess. Go do whatever. Like. I don't know if you meant to have that as a message in there, but that that hit me hard. I didn't, and that's amazing. Um, you're the second person to mention that to me, and it's amazing because I never that wasn't intentional. But I think that was something I was personally wrestled with too, which is I think we're rooted from. I, I have this statement that I put on; it's on the back of my um, my computer. You'll never regret five more minutes with Cam. You'll never regret five more minutes with Cam. And, you know, whether it's like Pretty Pretty Princess, but for Cam, it's Paw Patrol and playing drums. And we literally have a mic stand and I'm the guitar player. And he figured out a way to put the spotlight on a, his bunk bed where it looks like we're at a rock concert. And we play rock concert every night before we go to bed. And I'm like, the email can wait. The meeting can wait. Like, there's no meeting, no email that's more important than five more minutes with Cam. And we only get 18 summers, bro. Like, we only get 18, <laughs> we get 18 summers and then they get married and they go to college and they get married and they, then they're broke and they need all the money from us. And then like, it's just, right. it's just, it's just all of that. And I'm like, when you put that in, when I put that in perspective, I'm like, no, I, I only get 18 summers with this kid. Um, and so, yeah, man, it, it's, it's, it's amazing that the perspective parents had on it that I didn't realize, I guess was me actually vocalizing my own probably frustrations at the time frame because the whole COVID stuff. But, um, right. you know, my own, personal frustrations but yeah the, the goal man like i said there, there was a lot of books out i've seen like black dads and daughters like do their hair but there wasn't anything about black dads and black sons about and then yeah. dad and then dads and sons in general just about routines and things that we do and like we also are brushing teeth and cooking and making breakfast and drinking mm-hmm. coffee and then also along with that we got to go play basketball while before we get in the right. car to go to school, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so that's where even the Brown dog one came. Brown dad, Brown dad, Brown dog. I was going to ask you about yeah. that. Yeah. Your brand new book. Yeah, man. Brown dad, Brown boy, Brown dog. Yep. Talk to me about that one. Yeah. So that was the same thing where it was responsibility. So we had a dog in Rhode Island. Uh, his name was Lyndon. And uh, before we moved, Lyndon got really sick. And so we, we sent him back to uh, the place we purchased him from. But Lyndon, man, was a great, great dog. And so we named him Nina, named her Nina, sorry, in the book, based upon my sister's dog, Nina, uh, Nina Simone, she calls her. But we're actually about to get a, a Portuguese water dog here. Um, but named after Nina, Cam loves Nina. That's kind of the way we healed through not having Lyndon when we moved. And uh, it was just responsibility, just going for walks, taking care of things and trying to teach children um, and parents, too, to be a part of teaching our children to be responsible. We get so frustrated about our kids when they turn 15, 16, 17, about like, you know, you never do this, you're not responsible. But what if we actually walked through and had language to responsibility? You know, like, so there's the excitement. I think the same thing applies to leadership. There's the excitement to start, but then there's a responsibility to stay. Like, that means I have to pick up poop you know, from the dog. It means I have to give the dog a treat. That means I have to deal with, like, even in the book, uh, my anger. Like, Cam had a really 
has really big emotions, we love to call it. And Cam, in his big emotions, often will be really excited or really angry about something. And so I remember even when we had to walk Lyndon, he would get frustrated that every time Lyndon did something, we'd give him a treat. How come I didn't get a treat? Like, I went to school today. How come I... And it's, he would get angry. And it's like, no, we have to we have to teach Lyndon and we're teaching you responsibility. There's a balance, there's consequences. And that was the goal of the book, not by literally saying like consequences and balance and all of this right. and intentionality, but there's joy in responsibility. There's joy in consistency. And then we also introduced Courtney into it. She was so, she didn't know she was going to be a part of it until I got it together. And so she was like, oh my gosh, I'm illustrated now. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, man. So, but yeah, it's just, you know, as much as I want, I love talking to leaders and things like that. I love being a dad. Like I, I love being a dad and I love being Courtney's husband. And that's where these books came out. We're like, let's, let's vocalize family structure, family consistency and how it all starts there first. And I think what's cool is you have that part, but it's also, you're, you're still showing your leadership, you're showing your leadership as a husband, leadership as a dad. It's, it's entwined in everything that we do. Yeah. All right. So all right, as we wrap up today, all right, three books out right now, working on a fourth. Yeah, man, this is the manuscript. Honestly, this is the whole thing. <laughs> and uh, final proofing. I'm sending it over to a couple of, uh, a couple of colleagues and friends today to make sure that like the, the content's there. Then I got to send it back to the publisher and then, uh, yeah, man, we'll see what happens. But this is uh, it's called Let's Play Church, Gamifying Churches for Revitalization using uh, my dissertation was on um, gamification and nonprofit ethnic organizations. And so how we take the tenets of gaming and actually infuse them into church revitalization. And so, you know, options, control, rewards, badges and uh, not going to lie, man, um, I, I love looking at church like Madden. It's it's crazy. But that's yeah, I see the ministries, it's leagues, all of that. And it's helped me gamify it and instead of taking normal revitalization steps so it's a three-year program that i suggest to churches very practical but all it's all research-based so it's a totally different read than necessary endings um and then because the reason that's so and i'm just saying this so anyone who did like necessary endings if you read it or or not there's a book i was i tabled that i'm finishing this one on because god told me to do this i tabled it to a point where I'm like, let me finish what God told me to do first, and then I'll come back to this other one. And the other one's called I'm Ready, I'm ready for Me, and a challenge for everyone beyond necessary endings. So the question I kept getting after necessary endings is like, cool, so like, I evaluated, I evolved, and I think a lot of leadership books stop there. So like, I've healed, like, now what? And I'm so, ready. Yeah, and that's what this book is called, I'm Ready for Me. And so it's all about um, how I'm ready to I'm ready to live the life that I've now made a decision to destroy some things, to build some things, and how do I, I live into my own readiness? And that's about cultivating a, how, how to cultivate the right circle, um, how to destroy your idols and keep them destroyed, um, and then how to navigate. Like, you know, there's two men just from like injuries and sports and stuff. Like, it's one thing to get the hurt, and then it's another thing to live healed. Um, knowing that any little agitation the wrong way without therapy will make it re-injure the same thing. And so that's where this whole thing is. I'm ready to live healed. I'm ready to face my frustrations. I'm ready for mount new mountains. I'm ready for new drama. Um, literally one of the chapters, I'm ready for new drama. I don't want the same old drama I had 10 years ago. I want new drama because it's going to lead to new opportunity and new relationships and new restoration. So that'll come out probably 2024. Um, I started it. I tabled it. But this gamification one is the next one. So having fun with it. That's good. Congratulations. That's huge. Um, wh where can we get the books? How can, how can people listening connect with you? You know, yeah, let, let us know. Cause lots of knowledge so far today. 
jrlester.com is my website. And then my socials are all Mr. Underscore J. Lester across the board. TikTok, Snapchat, Facebook, Instagram. I don't really use Snapchat, but across the board, Mr. Underscore J. Lester or jrlester.com. Unless we can get all the books. I also have a, um, a notebook for those of you who are part of a local church. There's a notebook I put together called Sermon Notes. Um, I want to help you take better notes during sermons. Um, and so that's just a, a notebook on how I feel, what they sing today, what is God saying to me, things like that. And in it, the goal is to help you also hear the voice of God. So if you're struggling with hearing the voice of God, this sermon notebook is to help you discern what did God say to my pastor this week? What is God saying to me this week? And how do I live into it? Mm -hmm. I love it. So make sure you check that out. Again, I'm I took so much just from the two books I've read. I can't, I can't wait to get the new children's book you got out there. Um, last, last question for you. I, I ask, I wrap up with everybody is six degrees of leadership. Who, who are one or two people in your life that I should be reaching out to so I can learn, so I can grow. We can selfishly have them on this podcast. So spread their knowledge to everybody. Man, there's, there's a guy in Rhode Island. Uh, you probably not heard of him, but he's one of the most brilliant men I've ever met in my life. Saul Kaplan. He is the CEO of Business Innovation Factory. I will connect you with him today. He's the CEO of Business Innovation and Factory. Dude has done some of the most. He was one of the leading innovators behind Prozac. It just, I wanted to leave that. Yeah, it's just a brilliant, amazing guy who has been thinking and dreaming about things. Like right now, for example, my wife works with him. Um, she is leading this organization called Luna U, which is an app that has been developed for pregnant women across the country to give them free well-being over the course from pregnancy to three months postpartum. It was his vision for it. And man, like one of the most brilliant guys I've ever met um, has led. And, and so I think connecting with him, there's another guy named Sam Seidel. Sam Seidel, man, wrote a book called Hip Hop Genius. Hip Hop Genius is how to revitalize and reinvigorate urban high schools using the tenets of hip hop. His framework is what I'm using to write my book, but I'll connect you with Sam too. Sam is one yeah. of the most brilliant guys. He's a current professor at the D School at Stanford. One of the most brilliant guys I've ever met in my life and is doing phenomenal work um, across, the, across the country. He was in Rhode Island at URI. He just got hired on at Stanford five years ago. And his new work, Creative Hustle, I would recommend. I'm actually just going to gift it to you. His work, Creative Hustle, with Ola Tunde, yeah. man, changed like the way that I saw how to use my gifts. And I'm just going to send it to you. Wow. And, and then Love he it. even has one where like how to write the, how to write the perfect manifesto. I'm just going to send these to you. It's a whole booklet. I appreciate <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sam Seidel. And I'll, I'll connect you with both of them. Um, if not today, okay. but tomorrow. Sam and Saul. Cool. And then lastly, selfishly, but I just got to be honest about it, is my little sister. Um, my little sister just became a clinic, like a licensed clinical psychologist. She's a, a part of her practice, but now she's starting her own practice. And when it comes to like healing, moving beyond, moving up to, moving into next seasons and new eras of life. My sister has been one of the wisest people in my life, to tell you the truth. Mm -hmm. And um, if she ever, and I say this to her, so I ha can't wait till she listens to this. If she ever were to trust all that God put inside of her, she would change the world. So I can't wait for that day to happen. So I think if there's someone when it comes to some of the things you're t speaking about in terms of the home stuff and how to consistently trust the advice you tell yourself, my sister, man, and her insight, and she's finishing her PhD right now. My sister, I think Camille would be absolutely phenomenal. And her stuff is therapy with C. She has a whole thing. But Psalm, okay. Sam, and, Saul, Sam, and then my sister, I think, would be people I'd recommend. Love it. I remember I took uh, one or two classes with Camille in grad school at Marquette. Yeah. Love it. Oh, I would love to have her on. Good for her. I mean, it's not surprising. 
And she's killing it in Harlem and just doing it, man. And now she's about to move. She's about to move to Chicago, and uh, she's moving to Chicago. And uh, she's got a practice. She's sorry. She's starting her own practice there. She's licensed now, and she's finishing her PhD all at the same time. So proud of her. But if I were to recommend um, Saul, Sam, and then I thought about my sister this morning, I was like, Camille would be really great. Let's do it. We'll get them all on, hopefully. Yeah. Well, thank you, Justin, for taking the time. This is an awesome conversation. I learned a ton. I know our listeners did. Um, just thank you for, for blessing us with this time and blessing me with the friendship. Yeah, man. Same here. It's mutual, man. And uh, excited for you. Proud of who you are and the man that you've become, man. And to everybody listening, listen, I look forward to connect with you guys. And if I don't, I pray that something was said or said, said to you today that'll remind you that you are somebody. So, yeah. Thanks, Justin. Hi again, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you all picked up a tidbit or two from our episode. Now, please do me a favor and like, comment, and subscribe to this podcast. Each of those helps build our community of leaders. I appreciate you all. See you next time on Six Degrees of Leadership.